0: So today is Palm Sunday, where we celebrate the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. Now this sets into motion what we would call Holy Week, or some people call it Passion Week. I might refer to one or the other. This is the final week of Jesus' earthly ministry. And the most important week on the Christian calendar, like this is it. There's other seasons that are important, but this is like the top. This week is the most important week on the Christian docket. Now Palm Sunday, which of course is today, and there's a, a series of events that unfold during the week, during this Passion Week. And so uh, the first is that of course Jesus comes in to the city, which we're going to talk a little bit about in a moment. But then, the next day, Jesus clears the temple because of all the shenanigans that are taking place there, and they're ripping off the people and making it really about money and having overcharged um, sheep and other uh, ways of sacrifice and for people to express their dedication to the Lord and really making it like a money market scheme. And so, Jesus clears them out. And then, the next day, he spends it with disciples on the Mount of Olives and one of his more well known te- times of teaching where he talks about end times, talks about second coming and his return. And then two days later, he has the Last Supper with his disciples in the upper room. And that very night, he's betrayed by a friend with a kiss. And then this sets in motion all the events of his trial and ultimately ending up with the crucifixion of our Lord and Savior. And then that, of course, leads us with Good Friday and then on to Easter. And I would hope that you would join us for Good Friday services. We actually have two of them. And for Easter, that that you join us because this is really the climax of this Passion Week. So we have an action-packed week ahead of us. And we're going to look at this story a little more detail of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. So the tribal entry is documented in all four of the Gospels, but we're going to be reading out of Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. First 11 verses. So you can turn there, you can pull out the notes in front of you that we've given you, or uh, you can turn on your device and, and we'll go through it together. So in verse 1, Say to daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of the donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Friends, let's pray together. Or as we look at the beginning of this holy week, passion week, We're reminded of the passion that you have for us. This whole week took place, transpired because of your great love for us, each one of us, for humanity. You're willing to send your son as a suffering servant who ultimately went to the cross in our stead, in our place. Lord, thank you for the hope that we have because of Jesus who went before us. Lord, I pray that you would give us soft hearts, help us to receive. Lord, I know many of us, we, we've, we've read this passage, we, we've heard messages in the past about the triumphal entry. Lord, I pray that there'd be something that would resonate with each one. Lord, you would, you would open our eyes to maybe a nugget of truth Lord, that we could walk away with, and Lord, help us, to, help us to receive it. Lord, I believe there's a work you want to do in each heart, each one. So Lord, we give this time to you in Jesus' name, and we all said, Amen. So the focus this morning is the king we want. The king we want. Asking, really, what kind of leader do we want is not always the best question. In fact, the better question would be, what do we need? What kind of leader do we need? What kind of king do we need? What we want is not always what we need. The two don't always match up. It's not always what's best for us. While Jesus is the true king, while Jesus is the true king, he is rarely the king that we expect. We have this idea of what Jesus should be doing or, or how he should function. And oftentimes we're, we're just flat wrong. We, sometimes we miss it. And it's easy to confuse our wants with our needs. Easy to get the two mixed up. Now, let's put this in context of our kids getting what they want versus getting what they need. So, those of you with young children, or imagine when you did have younger children, or even when you were young yourself. Imagine what would happen if our kids got to set the menu. Like unrestricted, full access, they can set the, the menu, the time whatever they want. How would that go? Are you you imagining this with me? I could just picture in the morning, you know, got started off with some cocoa puffs. And then don't just use regular milk, use chocolate milk, right? Or maybe strawberry milk, just to make it a little extra fun. Maybe a couple pop tarts on top of that, you know, with some whipped cream, you know, just to kind of make it go down better. Maybe the more nutritious part of the day would be rotating between Domino's, McDonald's, and Taco Bell. You know, and maybe the only vegetable is, you know, you're adding the, the hot sauce because it's made from chili. Then you wash it all down, you know, like with an icy, uh, with a red vine straw. Any other suggestions? Crunchy What? Crunchy chicken. Crunchy chicken? Nice. Anything else? Look, you get the point. It would be a disaster, right? Root beer floats at midnight. I mean, it would be terrible. It wouldn't work very well. Look, what we need, what we need is some protein, maybe some fiber in there, maybe something that's actually green and a little leafy, maybe some veggies or some fruit. We'd need to cut back maybe on the sugar and the, and the caffeine. You can see how we can often get our wants and our needs mixed up. We can confuse the two, don't we? Now, first century Israel was not a whole lot different. There is confusion of who Jesus was. It's who they thought they wanted compared to who he really was and what they needed. As Jesus' disciples get ready to depart for Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, Jesus sets the stage and reveals to his disciples the game plan. He, he, he doesn't hide the game plan from them. In fact, this is the third time that he reveals to him them what he's gonna do. In Matthew chapter 20, just a chapter before, Jesus says, we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be betrayed over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles and be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he'll be raised to life. I mean, Jesus didn't pull any punches here. He made it real clear what he's gonna be doing, what's gonna happen to him. The phrase son of man was was the title that he used all throughout the Gospels. He didn't pull any punches. He was very straightforward with his crusty true, his crusty, crusty true, no, trusty crew. And what is, yeah, maybe a little crusty too. Maybe they had issues they're working on. Uh, I should just stay away from like trying to run it. Look, it just didn't commute. It didn't compute at all. It's just like telling an engineer trying to explain to me, you know, engineer, explain to me maybe like how an airplane stays up in the air. I'll just kind of fog over with those details. Or maybe, you know, a tax consultant talked to me about tax code and how to file taxes correctly. I would just kind of fog over. That's not exactly um, I'm going to be able to track with them or what I want to hear. I think there was a fog as well for the disciples. It, It just wasn't making sense. It wasn't just registering for them. They were convinced that Jesus was soon to come into his kingdom, and they wanted in on the deal. They wanted in on Jesus coming into his authority position. The mother of James and John, who was actually sent by them to kind of go, you know, kind of cowardly really of them, they kind of, hey, what's that mom ask this question? And she asked Jesus, can you let my boy sit on your right hand, your left hand when they come in, when you come into your kingdom? Can you put them in those places of authority. They saw all the miracles. They they saw the power of Jesus. They saw the healing. He healed tons of people all at the same time. There were small cases and bigger instances. He had power to calm the storms. They heard the amazing teachings and the parables. They witnessed the casting out of many demons, confronting the religious rulers of the day. Jesus explains to him, he says, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus lays out in advance that he's come as a servant and that's the model we have for us. It's an upside down kingdom. It's okay to desire greatness, he says, but you get there a different route. You get there through serving. You get there through humility. Now Jesus and his crew were nearing Jerusalem at this point. They're getting close. Now what I want you to see is that this is really a story about Jesus doing unexpected things. It's really a story about Jesus doing unexpected things. First we see an unexpected request. Says, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethlehem on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you'll find a donkey tied there and with her colt by her, untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place with Phil, it was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the full of a donkey the the context here is that passover will be celebrated several days later and the scene is set the the number of worshipers in jerusalem is swelling we've over 2 million people and if you've ever been to jerusalem or even see pictures or video of it it's not a very big place and it's bursting with life and energy and so it's just packed to the gills before entering into jerusalem they stopped this little hamlet of beth Known for its close association with Mount of Olives, they would enter through the east gate as they go in. Now, we're going to take a moment here and we're going to go through this story and really having two scenes. We're going to talk about having camera one and camera two. Camera one would be what they wanted or what the expectation was, camera two would be the reality or what actually transpired and what. We actually need. And so we're going to go back and forth between camera one and camera two. Camera one is really imagine with me what the scenario could be like. So here we go. Camera one, the king that they wanted. The disciples believe that they're setting the stage for a hero. This is going to be this grand entry. Jesus is going to come on the scene. So they believe we're going to set the stage for this. We get to be a part of making these arrangements. Disciples were thinking, this is Jesus' big moment, entering Jerusalem. Surely they knew about the prophecies of the Messiah who established justice and righteousness, smite his enemies, namely the Romans at this time. Now, let's just imagine. We're just imagining what this preparation might have looked like. So camera one, here we go. It's gonna start rolling. The disciples go ahead of Jesus and they make plans for this grand entrance. They go find a grand war horse ready with all the ornate headgear and a saddle that goes with it. Uh, they make plans at the Eastern gates. just kind of like burst open at the perfect time when Jesus shows up. They make plans for the red carpet to just be rolled out and for flowers and baskets to be thrown by the dancers in front. All the Jewish dignitaries and officials are being notified they're being notified of the timing and for them to be at the right place on cue. And there's great anticipation and they're excited about this. The arrangements of the feast. They spared no expense and, and got the best that the Middle East could offer. The timing of all of this had to be just right. So the disciples were basically becoming like event coordinators or arrangers. Okay, so that was camera one. Now let's go to camera two. This is the king that they needed gentle and humble servant. This is what they needed. And we're going to see this story play out. This is actually how it went. Jesus gives very specific direction, very specific knowledge about his transportation into the city. And sends two of his disciples into the village. He tells them where they'll find the donkey and provides them with the answer to the question the owner should ask or, or question them about it. They must have felt like they're being asked to steal a car right? I mean, they're not asking permission to go and untie this donkey. Jesus has said, untie it. And if someone asks you, tell them that the Lord needs it. So it wasn't just also a donkey. It was a package deal with a mother and her offspring, the colt, never ridden before. The mom is there probably to keep the young one calm, but you can imagine this wasn't a fast process. Donkeys aren't known for their speed, Right? Not the speediest, quickest animal. And not only do they have one, they also have this untrained colt who probably is you know, a little anxious coming to the city with all these people around. You could have seen this actually, could have been a disaster with these donkeys kind of going wild and losing them or something. But this is fulfillment of the prophecy of the entrance of the Messiah. The prophecy was See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey. It's very simple. Now you can imagine the disciples thinking, out of all the prophecies concerning the Messiah, this is the one that Jesus chooses? This is the one that Jesus goes with? Really? I mean, there's a lot of prophecies of him coming with power and, and might and, and donkey? Really? I'm going to go get a donkey? Okay. All right. I'm, they, they obeyed. I mean, the great thing about the disciples, they knew at this point that Jesus was always right. So they obeyed. They, they went with it. The nation needed a king that had the people's best interests in mind. One that was not self-serving. The Son of God who came to serve men rode on a beast of burden. Donkeys were associated with peace as opposed to horses were often associated with war. And so hence the reason for the prophecy of the donkey. And Jesus fulfills his prophecy. Jesus came to bring peace into the hearts and souls of men and women. He came to bring peace. Maybe not necessarily the peace the disciples And the crowds were expecting I love that he's on this donkey because I really believe it makes him relatable. It makes him approachable. He's not way up here. He's he's down here on the donkey. Okay, so not only was there this unexpected request, there's also an unexpected entrance. So there's an unexpected entrance. You have the request. They set the stage. Now you have this entrance. Starting in verse six, the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. So it says, a very great multitude. Jerusalem, as I said earlier, it was packed. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter would have been blowing up about the news and the excitement. Restaurants would have a couple hours wait. You know, you think Cheesecake Factory is long. Man, I mean, this would be hard to get anything you really need. I couldn't imagine even the bathroom situation. Um, hotels are booked out months in advance. All the city was moved with expectation. It's like the city was just pulsing, ready for the entrance of this Messiah. Okay, so here we go. Camera one. Again, this is what they wanted this would be what they wanted. They wanted a mighty conqueror. They didn't want this guy riding on a donkey, you know, the Prince of Peace. They wanted a mighty conqueror. So let's just imagine what this might look like. Just imagine with me what the scene could have looked like if expectations were met. Word is spreading that the great Messiah has been, that's been part of the The prophecies for centuries. It's finally here. He's here. He's arrived. And there's this excitement. There's this buzz. The front gates open. The timing is perfect with the trumpeteers in front. The loud sounds of the trumpets and the horns. Streamers are going. The flowers are are flying in front of. Where walks on top of them. There's joyous singing throughout this whole area. The conqueror with Full armor and, and all the ritual that goes with it, on a tall stallion decorated with coverings draped over their super ornate, leading a fleet of war horses with his faithful leaders, followed by well-armed foot soldiers ready for battle. This would have been a royal entrance. Just imagine that. The anticipation. This guy is gonna set us free. Set us free from being under the yoke of the Roman Empire. Imagine what life would have been like in an occupied country. We have a hard time relating to this. But these were occupied people. They didn't have the freedom that me and you have. In fact, the Romans were notorious for their cruelty of those that they conquered. Later on, they crucify not just Jesus, but they crucify thousands I mean, when they're putting down a rebellion. The Messiah established a new kingdom with his people ruling and reigning. That's what they hoped. That's what they expected. Now, camera two, is the king they actually needed. What do they need? They needed a protector. They needed a guide. They needed someone that's gonna lead them in the right way. There was no stately horses or a chariot, maybe for them to ride on, or a vast army that was falling behind but a humble donkey that he was riding. And he was followed by a ragtag group of common folk who could barely yield a sword. And his disciples are mostly kind of common folk from the country. All this activity, in fact, of the city probably would have been super overwhelming for them and they might have, you know, been a little bit of an overload for them. There are no posters or press release or commentators step by step. There's no entourage, no trumpets, no streamers. There was Jesus on the donkey, slowly making his way through the dusty streets. Now, there was excitement, nonetheless, about Jesus, at least initially. People were laying down their clothes, and they're, they're putting down palm branches. John actually tells us that the branches weren't just from any tree. They're from palm trees. And it was customary for citizens to throw their garments in the road for the monarch to step over. It was a sign of respect, it was shown respect, and their submission to the authority. So basically what they're saying is, we place ourselves at your feet, and if you need to walk over us, that's fine with us. The mission is greater than, than us. We submit to it. And the idea of the palm branches is the emblem of victory. There's this idea of coming back from From victory, the conquering hero comes back in the city and the palm branches would symbolize victory. Okay, now the reality is that there's a battle. There's a battle going on, but it's a different kind of battle. Battle for the souls of men and women. Jesus came to set people free. Came to set people free to serve the true God. He came to set them free from the bondage. They could be set free from Rome, but still be held hostage to the bondage of sin. And Jesus came to take those shackles off. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, it says, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. There's work the devil did. He held people in bondage. We're born in a sinful condition. and The devil wanted to keep people there. Jesus came to set us free. So we're gonna see as the story progresses, we see. An unexpected deliverer. We're going to see an unexpected deliverer. This is not how they thought it was going to go down. Jesus is the unexpected deliverer. In verse nine, it says the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, "Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heaven!" When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, "Who is this?" The crowds answered. This is Jesus the prophet from Nazareth and Galilee. Okay, so go with me. Camera one. The king that they wanted. They wanted a deliverer who's going to free them from their present circumstances. Their circumstances were crummy. They wanted out from under Rome, they wanted it to be free, they wanted to be put back in authority and have their own say. They wanted a deliverer to free them. Now, let's just imagine, go with me, imagine what this all might look like. Passover will be celebrated soon, just in a few days, which commemorated the Lord's miraculous deliverance of Israel from Egyptian bondage. So people are thinking, okay, this is perfect timing. I mean, the Passover is when Israel was set free from Egypt. Now we're gonna be set free on Passover from Rome. This is beautiful. This all is coming together. So imagine with me, Jesus comes in, He's in the city, and he makes a straight line now for the palace to confront the Roman authority and to set Israel free. Jesus makes a straight line. He goes straight to them. Now, as soldiers try to get in the way and they attempt to stop the procession, with a flick of his hand, their swords melt like wax. And then a mighty gush of wind descended and just put, flung the soldiers out of the pathway, removed them totally and completely. And as they approach the Roman soldiers, come around and they go up. Jesus goes up to where the rulers are and mounted troops surround him. Just like in Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark, lightning shoots forth from them, takes out all the enemies that would oppose him, and the palace begins to crumble in front. The enemy is now removed. And his armed disciples take up positions around Jesus. And Jesus begins to award ruling positions to the Jewish people who now have this special standing in this new era. That's what they imagined. Maybe that's what they hoped. Okay, but camera two. Camera two is what Jesus really was and what they needed. The king they actually needed was a savior to deliver him from the curse of sin and death sin and death are cruel tormentors what it does to us where it takes us jesus came to set us free here we see a nation's desire for deliverance what we actually see with camera 2 is a the king they actually needed here we see look the nation desired to be set free. They, they wanted to be set free. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed, they shouted. So there was some excitement. Seemingly with one voice, the whole multitude cried out in praise. With this amazing scene of excitement anticipation, they're starting to hit this climax. And then in verse nine, it says, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. So son of David was the most common messianic title that there was. It was very familiar. People would understand this is the title of the Messiah. So they're calling out basically his messianic title, Messiah. And then Hosanna is a heartfelt plea that means save now. No more waiting, save now. Putting those together, basically it's Messiah save us now, Messiah save us now. And it's over and over and over is what they're chanting, what they're saying. The coming one, the one we've been waiting for all this time, finally here, verse 10, says, When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Now, during the excitement, it appears that new groups of people have joined the crowd. Not exactly sure on the timing, but it looks like new people have kind of joined, and they're having a challenging time now, maybe a little time has passed, clearly identifying who Jesus is. There's some confusion now in the mix. It, It went from... Messiah, save us now. So now they, they called him prophet. Now they knew he was a prophet, but they no longer called him the son of David and didn't praise him as a great deliverer. Being from Nazareth, they're mentioning that might have actually been a dig at Jesus, not really a place known for royalty or for where special people come from. Now many wondered, okay, if this is a Messiah, why not use his powers against the Romans? I mean, it, it wouldn't be crazy for them to think that. I mean, you think about what he did. I mean, Jesus healed so many people. Sometimes it says there was a multitude of people, and it says that he healed them all. It's almost like there'd be a lie just heal them. There are times that right in front of the Pharisees and Sadducees that Jesus would heal someone. They, that he would cast out a demon. It, it wasn't in a private setting. It was a, a lot. So it wasn't crazy for them to think Hey, Jesus is going to use some of that power that we we witnessed to calm the storm, to walk on water. He's going to use some of that against the Romans. They desperately wanted to usher in a new season rule where God's chosen people would have this special standing, special position. You can imagine just the hunger for that. And Jesus, Jesus, when he healed all the people, when he set people free, I'm sure in people's minds, they thought, okay... This is just the, the next step. This is good. Let's keep this going. Now, there's confusion over prophecies to start with related to the Messiah that would back up this whole scenario. The Bible speaks of the suffering servant that would come to die for the sins of all, of all nations, not just Israel. It also speaks of the Messiah who will come in power and with judgment. And once for all, we'll deal with those that oppose the will of God. So both of these prophecies about The coming Messiah are in there. The suffering suffering servant in the roar who's going to kick some. And so we're going to see this take place. In their minds, these are two separate descriptions, but they're often, I think, just combined. And in fact, the first description was often overlooked. It just kind of merged together. And let's get rid of the one that's less attractive, the one about the suffering servant dying for the sins of the world. Suffering on a cross, that doesn't totally compute with us, so let's just really kind of overlook that one. It's just like mountain ranges. Mountain ranges can appear where the mountains are really close together from a distance, but when you get closer to the mountains themselves, you begin to see that there's really like a valley between the mountains. The mountain ranges aren't as close together as you originally thought. You get there and you're like, wow, there really is some great distances. Well, that's what's taking place with these prophecies. They're actually like, there's a valley between. We're actually in that valley now. The son of God's first visitation as the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world, that already took place. And that's taking place right here in our storyline. The next visitation, he'll come as a great conqueror. And that's what we're anticipating and looking forward to. So you can see these prophecies will be confused and kind of merged together. But it was right for them to say, Hosanna to the son of David. Now, a few days later, they realized that Jesus didn't come to deliver them from the Romans. So in fact, they turn against him. They, they turn on him. One time, they're, at, at one time, one point, they're singing his praise and then it all changes. In fact, later when Pilate sought to set Jesus free, because he knew that the the leaders, the Jewish leaders set Jesus with him and and gave them over to Pilate to deal with, really because of envy. And he realized that, and so he really wanted to set Jesus free. So he had this custom that he was gonna release someone, so he had Barabbas, who was a robber and a murderer, and so he said, who do you want? He thought for sure everyone's gonna choose Jesus. You know what they said? We do not want this man to rule over us. Their allegiance quickly changed. The crowds were fickle. Later, we're going to see that it continues to progress. That the religious rulers continue to stir up the people. They wanted Jesus on their own terms. They wanted to be able to call the shots of the Jesus that they wanted. Have you ever not liked something about how Jesus did not live up to your expectations? Something that God did. You had certain expectations, and then God did something different. And not really like that, or at least initially. Today, it's easy for people to kind of see Jesus as a a quick fix. Jesus will give them wealth, and health, and success, and happiness, and other worldly things. Look, it's not not bad to desire happiness, but that shouldn't be the forefront, That, that shouldn't be the ultimate. Jesus says, I've come, that they may have life, and life more abundantly. Jesus came to bring that life. We can all have mixed up expectations. The disciples had faulty expectations, did they not? The religious leaders had false expectations. Jesus' own family was even confused on this issue. They actually appealed to him and said, Jesus, why don't you just come with us? Let's let's stop some of this talk that you have going on. His own family. And there are times, friends, that I want Jesus on my own terms. I want Jesus on my own terms. But thank God that he thwarts my expectations. Thank God that Jesus thwarts our expectations. The real question is, how do we need to adjust our expectations to who Jesus really is? Maybe it's a job. Maybe you thought you are going to be on this career path and things just didn't work out that way, so... Your job took a turn, or maybe your job ended, or maybe it's just way more difficult and challenging than you thought. Are you willing to give that expectation to Jesus? Maybe he has something more in store for you, something he's developing in you that you can't see at the moment. Maybe there's a relationship or friendship that, that you were really banking on and you count on, and it went sour and you felt misled or betrayed. Didn't live up to expectations. Are you willing to give expectations to Jesus? Maybe health. You thought that you're going to continue on doing what you're doing. And, and then all of a sudden, something comes into your life that changes your health condition. And you're no longer able to do all those things you want to do or wish you could do. But trust in that Jesus still has a plan in this. There's something that he's doing in you and through you that wouldn't happen otherwise if you didn't go through this valley. Maybe it's your family or marriage just isn't living up to your expectations. Who had um, some mixed up expectations before you got married, right? You had some expectations of what you thought everything was going to happen. Maybe even how, you know, how great and wonderful it is having children. But maybe things uh, <laughs> didn't go exactly as planned and there's always some curveballs there, Right? You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> are you willing to give those expectations to the Lord? Are we going to trust him for it? We need to allow Jesus to be the Messiah that he needs to be, and we need him to be, not just who we want. Jesus is a king we need. Now soon, friends, we're going to transition to a time of communion, and those of you that are helping to serve communion may head to the back to help prepare that. Now, communion... We have the the two elements. These are really symbols of what Jesus did for us. The bread and the cup, symbol of the sacrifice Jesus made for us. The book of Hebrews talks about Jesus being our forerunner, where Jesus actually went before us and, and made a pathway for us to have a relationship with God. Jesus cleared the path, cleared the way, and, you know, there's no forerunner. There aren't after-runners, and that's us. We have to follow after the path that he made. He cleared for us to have this relationship with the Father. Jesus made a way for us to have a relationship with God, the creator of the universe. You know, we were designed to have a relationship with him, and Jesus made that happen by being the front-runner, by being the forerunner. Jesus cleared the way for us to receive forgiveness, and he removed the sin that would make that impossible to spend eternity with him. He gives us new life. Jesus says, I have come and may have life and life more abundantly. Jesus gives us hope of eternity. We can spend eternity with him in heaven and he has role for us. You don't picture any of the angels being born in heaven. He has eternal life. He has hope for us here and as we look forward. The son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life. As a ransom for many. This is something we cannot do for ourselves. It cannot be cannot be earned in any way, shape or fashion. Friends, will you just pray with me, and I'm going to ask, as you pray with your, with your eyes closed, will you just extend your hands? I'm going to ask you you just extend your hands with the palms open. Lord, we come before you with open arms, open hands. Lord, we give our expectations to you. Lord, we we give you our expectations. Lord, ways that, Lord, our expectations maybe haven't been fulfilled. Maybe ideas or concepts that we have that we just need to give to you. Lord, I pray we would no longer struggle with you on those. We no longer have tug of war. We would surrender those. Lord, we give those to you now. Lord, whatever it is, Lord, I pray just in the hearts of myself, my friends here would be to actually picture whatever that is, that expectation that, Lord, we could offer to you. Lord, we put it on the altar. Lord, we say, here it is. Lord, you know what's best. You know what we need. Thank you that Jesus is what we need. Thank you that Jesus made the way, that Jesus cleared the path. So Lord, as we worship you, may we worship you with all of our hearts. Lord, thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus that we're gonna be able to partake in for this time of communion. In Jesus' name.